Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Rich. Hey. And Chris. What's up? Today we're going to be talking about the uh, world of sports, which obviously has been put on pause due to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, pretty much every sporting event you could think of has been postponed or canceled from the months of April and May. Um, we're getting close to June now, and slowly we're starting to see leagues, especially in the U.S., with the idea that they want to reopen soon. And the focus of our episode today is the labor concerns that entails. You know, player safety obviously is going to be a big thing, but there are also discussions about how this will affect pay with games being held without fans. Um, where do we want to start with like this discussion? Well, I think I think what's interesting is how much people tie like not just people in terms of like people in the world of sports and like athletes and coaches and GMs and owners, um, but just people even who aren't normally, at least from what I've noticed, people aren't really like normally like hardcore fans of like any particular sport, how much they tie this into like their sense of normalcy and like a part of like, like a, like a signal of like opening up. Cause also when things started closing, Sports were a lot of most of the leagues, including like the NBA and college, the March Madness, just about the start conference tournaments. They were kind of ahead of what governments were doing, what a lot of even like local news was even or news nationally and locally were even talking about in terms of closures in schools. So they kind of started off ahead of the closures. And then now, you know, they're kind of like a, a symbol of like trying to open back up, you know, barring any kind of um second wave or any kind of crazy consequence um so i think like that's kind of interesting how much people like use this as like one of the main focal points you know of this period of time that we're going through and like how it's part of this transition into the lockdown and out of the lockdown too like that's the thing i think is interesting is as far as like the the role that it plays compared to everything else that we're dealing with i had to stop watching my uh, my beloved bo russia munching gladback to come record this uh, <laughs> the impact this has made on I had that on too I was going to Chromecast it on my TV in here but I just didn't do it <laughs> uh, Rich and Chris for those who aren't aware are talking about the fact that the Bundesliga the German Soccer League has returned today for the first time since the uh, outbreak um, they are playing games without any fans in the stadiums but they are the first real major league to return and a lot of eyes are on these games which are oddly quiet and it's sort of eerie to watch yeah yeah it's um i watched and i'm like wow the, the crowd noise suggestion that like people keep talking about um by people i mean like you know major sports media outlets and the leagues themselves at times it kind of like you know it matters a little bit it sounds like they're playing in like a very like just echoey version of like you know a tse you know total sports experience over in gates you know, it's it's like kind of like they're playing in like one of those kind of facilities. And like, so I guess someone scores, for example, which 
it's like you don't really notice unless you were really just paying attention like to what just happened you know normally everyone's kind of flipping out so it kind of does at least from what i'm initially seeing it does affect like your viewing experience it affects kind of like the intensity and like the kind of the feeling of relevance and urgency to what's going on when there are no fans. Um, and besides the fact that, you know, that, that this is going to start to play into the, the larger arguments that are going to happen um, over revenue and how much attendance plays in, in that equation. So that besides the experience of watching the game, like the fans not being there, it is a big part too of like how this is going to continue to unfold because it might not be the virus that stops this league from these leagues from opening. It could be the problems with revenue and the problems the players and owners have with that. I'll just I'll build on what Chris was saying earlier too. Like I was I was pretty plugged into the news that this COVID thing was coming, and I, I was I was hoarding uh, cans and whatnot uh, ahead of time. But even I, the thing that really like struck home for me that like oh this is real uh, was when the tournament got canceled, March Madness. And like I don't even like basketball, but it was like oh wow, you know that that cultural touchstone like just isn't happening this year this is this is the real deal um i'll also quibble with ryan's earlier point that the bundesliga is the first major league to return the korean baseball organization has been playing for two weeks now Uh, you can't we we can't forget that yes uh it you know but that that's also like the first kind of return of normalcy in the united states was that uh espn started quote-unquote carrying the games in which their announcers just interview players while the baseball's on in the background. But if you're up early enough as I am for work, uh, you can watch like the middle innings and the late innings of the games and, you know, with your breakfast or with your like first hour at work. And it's been like, it's, it's been nice. Like I can't imagine I would have un- under any other circumstance watched uh, Korean baseball. And I'm a pretty big Korean baseball fan or pretty big baseball fan, not Korean baseball fan, but you know, it's been fun. It's been like a real break and like a sense that like things are, starting to return to normal uh you know even even though that probably is really far away yet you know as as we record today you know it at least gives you a sense that like things are starting to turn and so you know that that does suggest the importance the cultural significance of sports you know to our to our understanding of the world uh chris you mentioned sports being like ahead of the curve in some ways in terms of closing down and they were I, I remember it being a little bit behind like some of the cities in like California and it Washington, behind, like, Italy like, and China, you know, um, at least our league or like even, um, I, I think Seattle had put like a ban on events of over 5,000 before like the NBA and, um, all these other leagues shut down. And, and the thing that like caused like a cascade of closures and events being canceled was an NBA player getting sick and Bear, yeah. like, getting a couple of his teammates yeah. sick. Um, and he made a player from the- of like, you know, the protocols, right? Like rubbing, he rubbed his hands over the mic when someone asked him about it. And about a week before it came out that he was diagnosed and all that stuff. Um, and, and like within a few days, basically, every major American sports league had shut down play. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a big question about like how much are they willing to lose and how are they willing to adjust to that? I just saw today that the NBA playoffs being, if the playoffs don't happen, they're going to lose like $900 million to a billion or upwards of a billion dollars. If they don't have any NBA playoffs because they won't get the money from the rights and, you know, they're obviously not the only league dealing with the question of, like, when the rights money kicks in, when it gets pulled, 
Um, so how much this gets forced through, and I think I feel like there, this does place a pressure because of its role in society and its coverage in the media of you know the the pressure to open up that I think some state governments are facing in lo- in local municipalities. I think if you, for example, if there's a pressure. You know, you see Florida is trying to trying to take the lead in like welcoming sports in. They did that with the UFC. They did that with WrestleMania at the the training center that they have. All these kind of events. So the 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 rights money that's being lost, and then in turn the pressure that's being put on state governments by probably by some of these leagues, um, directly or indirectly. Um, is I think is one of the more like immediate interesting developments as like the NBA and NHL decide to, I think they're still probably going to decide to close up shop for the year and just, you know, say it's a loss. Um, but baseball in particular and, and how that starts to affect how the player payouts are going to be happening for the rest of the year. Yeah. Uh, you, you talk about player payouts and we should be clear, you know, the reason why we're discussing this issue on punching out a show about work is because it is, you know, athletes who will take a huge brunt of this, you know, to the extent that there is risk involved in opening up, that risk falls heaviest on athletes, especially since, you know, the fans won't be involved. The fans uh, won't be able to attend most of these games. Um, It will be the athletes who run the highest risk of getting sick from this virus. And a lot of them have, um, for very good reasons, there are a lot who aren't so sure that the trade-off is worth it to open up and to play this year if this is the risk involved. This is not what they signed up for when they signed a contract. Yeah, and I think there's like divisions too, even in like sports media, um, which there always are when it comes to things that touch on politics. I think there's a guy, I think he's from CBS Sports, I do not remember his name. Um, I don't want to say the wrong guy. Um, (laughs) But who's basically making the claim, I think within a week or so ago, said like, sports media guy sports media and media people are like rooting for the virus it's kind of been like a general right-wing trope um but i think it's been especially prevalent among um like sports writers who have you know uh, usually a hidden right-wing bent because it's usually what they write about isn't related to their views um but like that's kind of the division you start to see too among the people who cover it and then you know obviously on the league side of things like you see dana white who repeatedly um, has said that this is a media creation. It's a media. I don't think he used the word hoax, um, which is obviously absurd because there's layoffs happening, right? The less sports there are, the less likely it is these people get to keep jobs. So that's another uh, dynamic of the pressure too, is like the infighting that is happening among the people covering the sport because there's money in this for them too. So it, it's really interesting to me, like how much of the reopening pressure is just kind of like almost like a peer pressure dynamic besides the money issue, right? Because a lot of it is just like, oh, like when people talk like Blake Snell, for example, um, talked about how, well, one, the MLB with owners were proposing 50-50 split, which I think. Just to uh, be clear, Blake Snell is a pitcher for the Tampa Bay yeah. Rays, Major League Baseball. Um, he's quite a good pitcher. Yeah, so yeah, he's like all-star quality. He was making a you know a Cy Young pit, uh, push to be the, you know the best in the AL. Um, so he's a major star, and he and he made comments that Bryce Harper actually agreed with, apparently on a Twitch stream, I think, um, saying that, you know, we have to get our full pay, even if we're going to play half a season starting in July or 100 games, um, because of the risk. And, you know, a lot of people will say that, well, okay, 
not only Blake, but most of the players are prime age, you know, healthy guy, athletic guys who even if they even, you know, again, but they have families, right? Especially if you're going to start playing in environments where, you know, you're going to have multiple teams playing in one venue for a while or something like that. That increases the odds of a transmission because you're clustering everybody, you know, into a few different venues instead of the 30 different parks. So I think, you know, you're going to see a lot more of that. And I think it's very telling that he's not the only one saying that. Um, so there's a lot of different aspects of play here other than just um, the health. I, I think you're right to point out like the symbolic value of sports returning. Um, and that is, there are definitely people who want to see, you know, baseball come back and especially want to see football happen in the fall, though that's much further away at this point. Um, and I think that as much as anything is part of this push to uh, have these things start back up for almost the symbolic value of them. Yeah. So the, the, the Bundesliga, you know, we, we were talking about it a little before, uh, you know, so it came back today with like protocols in place and they made a big show of, you know, that they were like looking out for player safety. So you couldn't celebrate a goal by hugging or high-fiving. They didn't do a high five line uh, before the game uh, started or anything like that. But then, you know, you're watching a game and like during a corner, you have all these players packed into the box, like pushing and shoving against each other. And of course, breathing on each other. Um, so it, it sort of reminds me a little bit about how like the NFL takes concussion protocols really seriously in a sport where like, you know, you really can't avoid getting hit in the head on every play. And it's the same thing with all of these sports. You know, I think baseball might be the safest in terms of that since, you know, the, the players are pretty safe, spaced around for the most part. Uh, but even that, you're always running the risk, you know, as long as your mouth is uncovered and always, you know, as long as you're in a locker room with, with 20 plus other players uh, of having that transmission or having that, uh, you know, that, that infection that you bring back to your family. And, you know, on top of that, you know, Chris, you said, you know, we're dealing with players who are 20 something, you know, prime of their lives. This disease is really weird. Like, it seems to be impacting, uh, you know, when, I, I know when it first came out, they were saying, like, oh, it just kills uh, people who are already, you know, immunocompromised or already in the edge of life. But it, it's doing really strange things to, you know, s- segments of people in their 20s and 30s, like hitting them really hard. So, you know, you do have a, a scenario where, like, a well-known athlete could get stricken with COVID and die a, like, horrible public death. And then people will look back and say... I mean, was it worth it? And I think a lot of athletes are asking themselves that, particularly when they see their ownership, uh, you know, try and nickel and dime them over uh, how much they're going to get paid to actually play these games that are significantly more dangerous than they have been in the past. Yeah, that's the thing is that, like, yes, revenue's down for everybody. But if you're going to ask players to be taking less, then you shouldn't be lowering their share of whatever revenue you're still going to be getting you know, during the course of your 82 or 100 game season. And they actually, I think just today, yesterday, maybe there was um, Ken Rosenthal. I, I think it's an exclusive from him is at least reporting. It's not official yet that the MLB is proposing protocols like players are wearing masks, except while on the field, six feet apart during, you know, national anthem or God bless America, um, six feet apart in the dugout and like, you know, discouraging, you know, spitting and all these other like kind of gross habits that anyone who's watched or played baseball knows is a part of, you know, your habit when you play. 
Um, there's like a big 67 page document, I guess. Um, but those are like some of the things, at least initially that they're looking at. And I don't know too much about where they're at as far as like the alternative venues or like what MLS is looking at for Orlando. Um, there was, um, you, you know, Rich, you talked about like the risk these players are taking and it was a report a couple days ago that like the NBA's plan, like Adam Silver was talking about how players need to get comfortable with the idea that a positive test won't end the season. Now, some players are going to get sick from this. Like they're accepting that as a given, as like the cost of doing business. And that, that just seems so strange for a, a business that like, as much as we talk about its importance and its symbolic value, it really doesn't need to happen. You know, grocery stores are one thing, but sports are, you know, they're entertainment. Yeah. It's hard to imagine baseball without spitting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that'll, that'll be a big adjustment or for my, for my viewing experience. I, I know the KBO has the same uh, restrictions in place. Like, I think the umpires are all wearing masks. Uh, players in the dugout, you know, as long as, if you're not in the field, basically you should be wearing a mask. Um, and I think you'll see the same things in baseball. Um, and like I said before, you're, it's a sport that already practices social distancing, you know, except when you're like at the plate uh, and kind of close to the catcher, you know, there's really no other time in the sport when you're in the field, when you're, you know, that close to another person. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's probably the safest and of, of the sports to come, but uh how how safe is it really and how i think ryan your point is well taken how necessary is it really i enjoy that i can watch baseball in the morning i i've enjoyed being able to watch the bundesliga today but i'll enjoy it significantly less if people are dying uh because of my enjoyment like there, there really isn't a, a cost i'm or any of us should be willing to you know bear yeah and there's been you know, we haven't seen it too much because, you know, those other leagues haven't really started playing yet officially, but there's been, you know, backlash on the players from owner, like the UFC, who, who did come back um, along with the Bundesliga, came back with UFC 249 with a pay- big pay-per-view event in an empty arena last Saturday. Um, and then there was reports everywhere um, saying that fighters were required to sign documents um, that will so that they will lose their whole person bonuses purse meaning like the money they get from showing up and or winning the fight. Um, if they say anything negative about UFC's, you know, safety protocols around the virus, um, which is if anyone knows anything about Dana White and the UFC, this is kind of, you know, onerous even for them and for him. Like this is, it's definitely the most intense version of ownership backlash to like players or, you know, workers or fighters speaking out. Um, that I've seen, um, you know, I, I don't think that the other leagues will do that because I think the other leagues have more of an interest in being av- having like a, a wider appeal, and you know, well, the other leagues have unions. I yeah, think exactly. that's the biggest thing is that you know the UFC, as we've talked about, came up at a time when unions were decimated. So, and whereas MLB players union, NFL, NBA were in the fifties. Um, when unions are a lot stronger and easier to form and all that, and much more a part of the culture. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the UFC fights got canceled because the guy yeah. tested positive, Yeah, right? Jacare Souza, last Saturday, had a fight against Uriah Hall, and uh, like a day before, tested positive, and they took him and Hall out. And it, like the weigh-ins and stuff, people were doing their slap hands, and they were m- maybe wearing masks for some of them. It was weird too, because like Joe Rogan, you made a joke about it during the broadcast, how they like had the announcers stand together 
um, beforehand, like during like the start of the show in between fights. And then they would be calling the fight in like separate, like, you know, a multi-box kind of setting, like all separated around <laughs> the cage um, and how ridiculous it was to have them together than apart. So it was just very like kind of weird and confusing. And besides Jocker, I haven't heard of anything else happening related to that. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, they have another one um, tonight and then on this Saturday. Um, so, you know, we'll see. And then, you know, I think they take a lot of pride too in the fact that, you know, we're the ones leading the charge and kind of, you know, being the test dummies for this thing. Wasn't it, UFC that was looking at like holding events on a private island oh, yeah, so that they island. wouldn't have to abide by state rules. Yeah, which is definitely uh real, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no one knows. They they it's almost become like a a self-reinforcing like meme from like people in the UFC, like the report like the broadcasters just last the Wednesdays event were like making jokes about it, you know, and it's like it was a very like kind of Trumpian maneuver, I think, the Fight Island thing, or it's like this kind of like exaggerated, like probably not real or true thing that just to like get a stir and get attention, you know? Um, and even that, even when it, Dana was claiming that it was real, he never said where it would, where it was. Um, he said they were going to have all their future even after the virus, or at least some of them after the virus. Um, so it's very like they're the UFC's like whole like their own unique dynamic to this, I think, has been very interesting, not just because they're the only ones actually functioning right now, but because, again, they, they don't have a union because of, you know, Dana White himself, who really, despite not being the owner anymore, is really like, you know, the guy who's just the, the sole figurehead, you know, um, and just all of the, the kind of circus atmosphere around it. I, I want to take a. Uh brief break here we'll come back and we'll get more into like the financial aspects of all of this and how it will impact players and like the labor cost of all of this you're listening to punching out on w-a-y-o-l-p rochester if you'd like to continue slacking off you can find all of our past episodes on itunes and soundcloud remember your boss isn't listening but we are Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Rich. Hey. And Chris. What up? We talked in the first segment about some of the impact that coronavirus has had on sports leagues around the world, but especially in the U.S. where the virus has had a worse impact than pretty much anywhere else. We want to move in this segment to talking about some of the financial elements of all of this and why it's wrong that like players are being asked to foot the bill in many ways for the cost of what having a shortened season or having uh, whatever adjustments will be ma- made necessary by all this going on. Specifically, something that caught my eye was Major League Baseball's plan for reopening, which as of you know a week ago or so, or this this past week anyway, wanted players to take just 50% of the overall revenues from the reopened season now that revenues will be much smaller since no fans will be in attendance. This is at odds with how baseball has traditionally handled its collective bargaining. It 
has usually players have not been capped in this way to a percentage of the revenue. And conversely, they haven't been guaranteed a percentage of the revenue. So when revenues were high, baseball was happy with that setup, but now they want to change it. Um, your thoughts on, on that. Yeah. Ironically, this would lead to, uh, at least as a proportion of revenue an increase for players, uh, the MLBPA has been, uh, doing a poor job of ensuring that league revenues get to its players. So they actually only get about uh, 43% of league revenues right now. But, you know, like you said, they're dealing with a situation where, you know, attendance is going to be, you know, non-existent. Concessions are going to be non-existent. Um, and I think Trevor Bauer uh, made the point on Twitter the other day and, you know, heartbreaking, the worst person, you know, makes a good point. Uh, yeah. He said, we don't know what the revenue is going to be because whatever the season is uh, or however many games it is, whatever the rights deals work out to, whatever the merchandising works out to is going to be unpredictable given the situation. And so, you know, players are going to wind up in a situation where they're not even getting, you know, a good chunk of what they've negotiated. And uh, I think Tony Clark, you know, the MLB PA president also made the point that, this is a, a backdoor salary cap. This is an attempt to set the precedent uh, that the, the league can impose a salary cap. And it's just like, you know, what we've been talking about uh, with, you know, other, other industries under coronavirus, they're using the opportunity of this disaster to impose stuff they want to do anyway, uh, to really restrain their labor force and, uh, you know, bring them more, uh, more under control uh, than they have been in the past. So, you know, I certainly very much support uh, the players and their attempt to keep what's theirs. Frankly, it's the ownerships or ownership class or the parasites in the league. It's the players who make the revenue. Yeah. And I think one, I think too, is worth mentioning that this isn't even just like, I mean, it's still a proposal. It's not official, but the owners did. I mean, they like voted on this and approved it. So it's not even just like something that they're tossing out to test it in the media either. Like this 50, 50 revenue is now entirely up to a player vote. And, you know, like we said earlier, Snell and Snell and Harper are publicly speaking out against that. I think probably a pretty good bellwether about what's going to happen with this vote. It's going to get shut down. Um, and I think what makes it even worse to me is realizing that, or at least remembering that, you know, in March, back when we, we still knew this was all going to go on and that baseball would, might not happen, um, they already had an agreement that player salaries would be prorated based on the number of games played. Um, and that things would more or less kind of stay the same, just, you know, shrunk down to the scale of, you know, the, this new reality of revenues and less games and no fans and all that stuff. So that's what makes it even worse is that like the owners like see how bad this is and how bad it's getting and are still using this as a reason to, again, owners who have an, the, the whole rest of their lives to make money. As a, which is very different from player situation. Owners uh, who have made record profits in recent years, record revenue. Yeah, it, it is kind of you know a classic case of you know using a crisis to in, impose you know a, a form of pretty severe austerity on these players. Except with the even bigger knife twist of the fact that there is a virus that is pretty deadly, even to some people who are. Um, of younger age and, you know, especially the families, the players as well. I do want to talk about this, uh, this sort of austerity angle and how like the pressures of a crisis will lead people to, um, make decisions that they otherwise wouldn't. And those decisions have long-term impacts. You know, if players give in now, 
what will happen in the next year, what will happen in the yeah. years to come. They, they almost certainly will not make that money back. One thing that caught my eye was uh, comments by Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Pritzker, I think, is a billionaire. He bought his way to the governorship in Illinois, as is tradition. Um, <laughs> and he you know, very much was talking about how in reopening, we all have to make sacrifices. Uh, quote, I realize that players have the right to haggle over their salaries, but we do live in a moment where the people of Illinois and the people of the United States deserve to get their pastime back, to watch anyway, on television. If they're able to come up with safety precautions, as has been suggested by MLB, that works. I hope the players will understand that the people of our United States need them to recognize that this is an important part of leisure time that all of us want to have in the summer. We need that back. We need that normalcy. I'm disappointed in many ways that players are holding out for these very, very high salaries and payments during a time when everybody is sacrificing. Yeah, I mean, everybody is expected to sacrifice except for for them, right? I mean, obviously, I mean, the owners are not actually sacrificing anything. Um, They're losing money anyways because things are shut down. That's not them deciding to give up anything right the way they're asking players or workers across the entire spectrum of you know of the country um, regardless of what your job is to give up things to give up you know some of your safety so that someone else um, can make money or that someone else can enjoy what you do whether it's you know cutting your hair or playing baseball so that they can not be bored for a while um, and not be filled with the sense of dread <laughs> that everything, especially this virus, fills people with. Um, you know, it's not even about like it's not even an argument saying like, no, actually, economically, this is what we have to do. Here's why. Here's reason one, two, and three. It's just like these kind of appeals to like these kind of like vague ideas of you know people need this to unite us and like using that kind of language because um, that's all they really have. It's absurd that. MLB, which made $10.7 billion in revenue last year, then has the gall to turn its pockets out and start bleeding poverty uh, during a moment of crisis and then ask the players to be the ones to bear the risks or bear the sacrifices that have to be made uh, to get the sport back online. They have access to credit. They have access to money. You know, they have deep reservoirs of wealth. They, they can afford to bear the costs of uh, a shortened season or a season without fans. And they're just choosing not to because they know they have the power, they have the leverage. And frankly, they have the media on their side. Uh, you know, anyone who's watched KBO baseball in the morning can, you know, read between the lines that uh, the ESPN broadcasters are not presenting any kind of sympathetic outlook on the union, yep. uh, the union uh, lack of interest in these proposals. Uh, they just want their sports back. They just want their game back. And since players are the visible face of the game, just like with past labor conflicts, it's the players who are the ones who uh, bear the animus or uh, a fan, you know, disapproval of the actions. It's the players who get asked, "Why aren't you playing?" rather than the owners, "Why aren't you playing? Why aren't you paying players a fair amount to play?" Uh, and you know, just at yeah. any labor action, you know, as it is now, that's how the question should be framed, and it never is. I think when you get into this rhetoric of need, there's it's always being used to overwhelm the details. You know what has to happen to make that possible. You know, in this case, this talk of 
you know, we need baseball back is being used to subsume any concern about, you know, how those revenues will be split or, you know, how those players will be paid to take on these risks now. And we talk on punching out about how sports are the most visible example of uh, labor disputes in a lot of people's lives. You know, you, you see scrutiny on athlete pay in a way that isn't given to almost any other profession. And we also see a reflection of this sort of need discussion in, in other ways. Um, uh, in the Democratic Party primary, there's always these discussions of uh, party unity and the need to unite. And there are real legitimate questions about what people will be uniting behind. Also, uh, with these uh, coronavirus uh, bailout bills, effectively these re- relief bills, we've seen uh, almost a unanimous vote in the Senate behind a bill that we now recognize was nowhere near enough to actually meet the moment of this crisis, to meet people's needs. And the reason that happened is because nobody wants to be the one voting against a relief bill, however insufficient it might be. Yeah, it's like this kind of appeal to like uh, normalcy and distraction, you know, and then repackaging it as like, like as a need, as something that, you know, this is what we're accustomed to. This is how things go. This is the schedule of our year and our lives. So if we just do this, then people won't be asking the bigger questions about like, well, why, you know, why weren't we so prepared? Why is it that, you know, I have to go back to work and why aren't in in this unsafe situation? Instead, it's we're going to frame cruise lines um, as a need. We're going to frame. Although they're, I think, more important than cruise lines, hairdressers all of a sudden, but this prominent role in society that they didn't have before the virus that people are so concerned about. And they're doing the same thing with sports. And I think whatever the athletes do that is a step back, it's it will take them years to get that ground back if they ever do. Even if they're told that, it, especially in the MLB, if like, oh, this is just for this year, this split. Or this kind of this kind of pay cut, or this this kind of rules about salaries. This is just for this year, uh, and I th- especially in college, um, where you're seeing an increasing uh, as you know, a few months, three or four months from now, you're going to have fall football season starting up, and then basketball in November. Um, all of the small the small amount of ground that's been gained in the last couple years towards college athletes getting sponsorship, being able to get some sponsorships, making some money off their name, at least at the very high end, you know, people who are pro prospects. Um, that's going to start to be at least stalled heavily or erased too, um, because they're going to be, I mean, not that they're wrong that the revenue is going down, but that's going to be used as an, ex- again, an excuse to keep stalling these kinds of advances. We talked about J.B. Pritzker's comments, and there were sort of similar sentiments expressed by former players, even uh, Alex Rodriguez, Mark Deshera, former Yankees players. I'm sure not a coincidence that the hero in this is a voice of reason, I should say, maybe not necessarily a hero, is uh, Scott Boris, a player agent who for many years was sort of villainized in the media for his role in engineering big contracts for star players. Um, He is talking about how you know, players in the league already reached an agreement about prorating contracts. He's talking right. about how this would amount to socializing the losses after years of privatizing the rewards of record revenue. Yeah, yeah. A Rod's like, um, we, I don't know if you're referring to A Rod's weird video um, that he put out this morning or last night or yesterday. Um, 
where he's making this kind of like, I'm sure a purposely vague appeal to like, you know, like for just forget about the money, just you unite. You, 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 you need to, you unite. should never trust anybody who tells you to forget about the money. Alex yeah. The, the notoriously, and again, a guilty pleasure of mine is, you know, I, as a Yankee fan, I've always had a soft spot for a rod. I know many Yankee fans don't, this is the classic tone deaf moment for him. It was just a, you know, a weird moment. And I think it, it shows an A-Rod's on the media side of things too. So again, it shows the kind of unity of the kind of people covering the game in media or retired wealthy players against A-Rod, what the A-Rod, players are demanding. A-Rod's an aspirational owner too. And I think that's part of where those comments are coming from. He wants to reassure the ownership class of the sport that he's one of them. Um, yeah. I, I'm concerned too, you know, just as what Ryan was saying, like, on who else is bearing the brunt of these losses. And it's like the most vulnerable people in the sports ecosystem are the ones as is typical who are, you know, going to bear these most serious losses. So, I mean, we've been focusing on the players uh, because they're the most, you know, public face of this kind of dispute. Um, but, you know, think about all the concessions workers at the stadiums who don't have a job for the summer. Now, um, most of the baseball teams, I think every baseball team agreed to pay them through May. Uh, but after May is up, you know, I doubt they'll, uh, keep that agreement going. So the fact that these games will be playing behind, be being played behind closed doors, that there are working class people who are going to be without jobs this summer uh, at a time of 25, 30% unemployment. Um, and they're not going to have anyone except maybe, you know, some players charity, you know, filling their paychecks. Uh, and then the minor leagues too. So baseball has been slowly, slowly eroding the role of minor league baseball in the sport. Um, and so they use coronavirus to finally pass its contraction plan. They reduce the draft. Specifically, that would be uh, when you talk about their contraction plan, that would be getting rid of like a fourth or a fifth of all minor league baseball teams. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to get rid of minor league baseball teams. They're reducing the draft this year. So it's only going to be five rounds instead of the usual like 500. Uh, and I mean, the draft... <laughs> I'm not going to defend the draft. It already is an anti-labor kind of salary control device. But yeah, this, I don't like it. This means players who were going to be brought into the sport are now, uh, again, not going to be paid or be paid at, you know, at least a fraction of what they would ostensibly have been worth otherwise. And then the minor league baseball season doesn't look like it's going to happen. And those players don't get paid uh, if they don't play. Um, so my concern is uh, if baseball and the MLBPA can't work out an agreement Baseball will just say, well, we have this reserve army of players in the minors. They'll play the games. Just like what happened during the 94 strike, you're going to have scab players uh, as a last resort who can, you know, always be pointed to like, well, if you guys don't want to play, we got these hungry young players who aren't getting any paychecks. They're going to come up and play Um, at, you know, great cost to the sports legitimacy, quality of play. And, you know, frankly, I'm not going to watch it if that's what happens. Yeah, a couple of days ago, I came across a thread on Twitter by Sean Doolittle, who's a relief pitcher from the Washington Nationals. Um, he was laying out his concerns with going forward with the season, and primarily, he's talking about just the basic health risks of playing. Even you know, as a young athlete, th- those risks are not—they aren't zero. And obviously, a lot of other people around the team, coaches and such, are at a higher risk for death if they contract this virus. And I made the mistake of delving into like 
the replies on Twitter, which never <laughs> do that, never do that. But there were a lot of people expressing that sentiment about, you know, if these players don't want to you know, play, we'll do it for them. Or how can you think about not playing when grocery store workers still have to go to work? And it's just a bizarre mindset to it's worker versus worker treat right. those things as equivalent, you know, to think about grocery stores, which are a necessity and sports, which aren't uh, on like the same level. It's just very strange and disheartening yeah. to see. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's worker versus worker rhetoric, which, you know, or everyone I think in the U S is familiar with. It's just people can't imagine, like they can't get themselves the, the way that they think about this to like this next level of like getting beyond this point where it's either you versus me. Whereas instead it's like, why aren't the people that are making all these decisions and have the money to actually implement these things and the resources making it so that we don't have to fight about this at all so that we all get what we want, which is, you know, safety. And eventually at some point, the things that we all enjoy and make life worthwhile. Um, Um, I'm just going to quote Doolittle directly before we um, wrap up the segment. Um, Quote, some people telling me to stay home if I don't want to play. We're asking these questions because we want to play. We want to restart the season again. We also want everyone it would require to resume a baseball season to be as safe as possible. And right now there isn't really a plan that accounts for that. We talked um, back in the first segment about how the NBA is assuming that players are going to test positive and that they might not shut down the season the way they did the first time around. Um, when we come back from this break, we want to talk about um, some of the other people who aren't making as much money as Major League Baseball players, uh, college athletes, as Chris alluded to earlier, but also some other sports down, further down the totem pole. We'll be back. Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Chris. Hey. And Rich. Still here. We've been talking about the impacts coronavirus has had on the sports world and how players are going to end up being asked to take the brunt of those costs, as opposed to the owners who, in theory, are the ones taking on the risk, but never in practice. We, we left off the last segment talking a bit about how minor league baseball will be impacted by all this. There's the chance that you know, minor league baseball just won't even happen this season, uh, you know, which is obviously hundreds of jobs and thousands even beyond that, that are being lost as a result of this coronavirus. And it leads me to this um, thesis that like these leagues like minor league baseball and like major league soccer that are more dependent on getting their revenue from fans in the stands than on TV contracts are going to be less likely to rush their way back to having a season this year because the financial incentives aren't really there for them to do so. Yeah. I mean, with MLS, at least, I mean, you have at least some kind of a plan in place. And, but again, it's part of different from minor league baseball because minor league baseball is not any kind of a TV right. draw. Um, you know, MLS is not, you know, on the level of the big four. Um, but 
it, it does have contracts with ESPN, with, I think maybe with yeah, Fox, I'm not Fox. sure. But like, so, so they have at least have had a plan. Um, and their big plan, um, at least for now, seems to be that they're going to try what at least been rumored with baseball is this kind of like single venue or at least a few venues. They're, they're going to try to pack all the players, all the teams, all of the managers and such into the wide world of sports at Disney World in Orlando. Yeah, ESPN's it's, whole thing. Which is 20, there's 26 teams in the MLS now. Right. It's, it's an incredible, like, just the, the logistics of all of that, I don't think are that they seem infeasible that you can just have this biosphere bubble and nobody get infected in that process. Yeah. Just a virus incubator. And it's basically like, I mean, it's like a smaller version of like, you know, like an Olympic village, you know, like which are also obviously canceled, but it's that kind of situation where it's like, it's, it's a huge, huge dilemma. And it's, you know, that's their only option is MLS's whole thing is that, you know, they have passionate fans, Mm -hmm but not necessarily like huge amounts of like uh, mainstream attention. Right. So it's, there's more of an incentive for them to try and get this going than minor league baseball, yeah, which I, I think, well, you're seeing in some of like the discussions of like the format there that like, they might not have a regular season this year. They might just break it down into a small tournament that can be done in two or three months, something that, will get tv viewers but won't try to replicate the uh, sporting legitimacy of having a full 34 game season which i mean it's less risk and it means less time that you have to quarantine all these players away from their families or with their families which would be a harder task but all this is going to impact players just all the way down the sporting ladder uh the third tier of u.s soccer is this league called usl league two it's a confusing name but they are they've already canceled their season for this year so you're seeing these smaller leagues face even harsher impacts than the major leagues which everybody expects will still be there next year um but like yeah you talk about going down the sports ladder but like we the game day workers really i think are um, one of the biggest parts of the equation when it comes to that, because at the end of the day, are all these people involved, um, besides the minor league guys, are going to be in a probably a pretty good situation after this dilemma is over. Um, but they're the ones who are going to be relying on the, uh, the extended unemployment insurance or expanded unemployment insurance, I should say. They're going to be relying on some of these owners just being like nice, I guess. And it's never a good position to be relying on like the benevolence of somebody like Terry Pagula. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, uh, the athletic had a, had a big piece last month. Um, talk, basically an expose. I think it's fair to call it. Um, talking about how the, the Pagula sports and entertainment, their company is collapsing under its, uh, expanded weight that it's been adding on and how this virus, they were the first ones, um, when this really started to hit in March and into April to just like cut and run with tons of their like, you know, working, you know, working class, like low level, low wage employees across their entire spectrum, right? Not just game day people, but people running the Harbor Center, all these different parts of downtown Buffalo, they started to take control of. For those who don't know, the uh, Pagula family owns the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Sabres, and several minor league sports teams, including the uh, Rochester Americans and the Rochester Nighthawks here in Rochester. I I guess we can transition now to like college sports a bit and talk about 
like how silly some of that seems. Like there are people talking now about um, the possibility of having college football even while college campuses are closed, and it sort of yeah. puts a lie to this whole idea of the student athlete that has been a myth from the beginning, but now will seem even sillier. Yeah, um, with California especially which, you know, has tons of Pac-12 schools. Pac-12 is one of the five major conferences in football and basketball. These are schools like UCLA, USC. Yeah, UCLA, Cal, uh, Cal Berkeley, that is, Stanford. Um, They're not having, at least their public system, is not having people on campus in the fall. I think that's official now. So that right there is throwing a wrench, and it really shows how, because of how decentralized college sports are, um, how it's going to be hard to have a kind of uniform kind of comeback when different states, um, whether it's because of political differences, whether it's because of the different ways the virus has hit regions, because some areas are more populated, more dense than others. Um, you're going to see those kind of differences. And again, the only the ones being tossed around are going to be these largely unpaid um, college athletes who, at least at the highest, highest end, have started to make some gains in terms of being able to make money off of their persona, um, which means that they're going to start bringing you know revenue from the video games back. For example, is probably the biggest exa- immediate example of that, and, and it, it'll just further heighten um, the contradiction that I think people have been catching on to more and more when it comes to how we talk about college athletes um, in relation to how what in practice um, they're actually being asked to do all the time. I mean, there is, there's been some kind of rash statements made early on in this. I think Mike Gundy was one of the first ones at Oklahoma State, their football head coach, mm-hmm. you know, basically saying, you know, one of these statements like, oh, we're going to get right back in it. And, you know, that's just kind of how it is. And then he kind of apologized. So there is this kind of like loose um, understanding that that's not how you should be approaching this. But at the same time, like they seem to be still pushing ahead. I think you know, for now they have the, unlike baseball, they, them and the NFL and the, you know, they have the luxury right now of being able to put off some of this decision-making for another couple months, probably. Um, but with colleges is different because, you know, you're involving hundreds, if not thousands of campuses um, and, and then multiple major conferences that rely on, that all have their own networks, rely on ad revenue and themselves have their own TV deals and, and referees. I, I think, you see with this push to have sports in the fall is it exposes the myth that that is commonly sold about how these athletic departments don't even make money for the schools you know they want sports back desperately and they wouldn't be doing that if it was a real money loser for these schools yeah well what's tough too is that some of the small the conferences that are still big in d1 like for example the mac the mid-american conference which includes locally ub they, I think just yesterday, they announced that when teams are traveling next year, um, they're not going to be including, they're not going to be having hotel stays overnight. Um, they're trying to do all these cost-saving measures. So these conferences that, you know, don't bring in, despite being D1, don't bring in the huge crowds, don't bring in the revenue and TV money, you know, they're kind of caught in this bind of being in the same world as these huge programs that can at least probably survive even if they act like they don't, that can survive this period um, being kind of caught up in this too. Well, you still have the, mm-hmm. you know, unpaid athletes as well who are kind of caught in limbo. Um, so it's really, it's a big mess for college sports in particular, especially in the SEC in the South where um, college football is just like, 
you know, you can't cancel that, you know, like you just can't, you can't do it like culturally, you know, it's just, it's, you hear it over and over again. It's a repeated thing now in sports media that like the SEC is going to be playing football this year, no matter what is happening. It's one thing to ask players in professional leagues who, you know, even if the major league owners, for instance, get every demand they want, like the, the players would still be comfortable in their salaries. Like I think it's fair to say that, you know, I'd object to that just meaning more money going to the billionaire ownership class. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's true. It's a completely different level of gall to ask unpaid workers, which is what the student athletes are, to bear all the risk of playing a sport under conditions of coronavirus just so their schools and their boosters and their millionaire coaches uh, can continue to skim all of their labor and, you know, it's especially, you know, I, I've seen NCAA commissioner Mark Emmert, you know, say like, well, we can't, we can't, these are student athletes after all, we can't have them on campus if the campuses are open. And so you could see the spectacle, like particularly like with the SEC schools where a lot of the, the school revenue depends on the football teams, like reopen the campuses against all public health advice, just so they could wedge their football seasons in at great social costs, not just to the players, but ultimately to their students and to their communities as well. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on uh, women's sports as well um, as another example of leagues where the TV revenue isn't that pressing um, driver for getting sports back. And there was a cover story in Sports Illustrated this week about how COVID-19 could spell doom for the National Women's Soccer League, which is the league in which uh, Pretty much all of the U.S. women's uh, national team, the World Cup champion U.S. women's national team plays in, um, but has never quite had the same um, popular appeal as the World Cup team. Um, I've seen some criticism of this article saying that the league is on steadier footing than uh, it suggests, but still, these are huge things that could just fall away during this pandemic, and it'd be... It's hard to know how they'd be replaced, if at all. Yeah, well, it's it's a lot like how we uh, how there's setbacks um, when we talk about how setbacks with labor rights in the other sports. How let's say the players just say, "Okay, we're we're just going to play. Screw it." Well, what that means long term is that there's going to be a contraction in any kind of advances that they made as far as getting more money and, and you know any kind of bargaining that they try and make. And then what that also means is that progress will also be erased with what the NWSL has had, uh, women's hockey, any gains the WNBA has made. I mean, they had their draft live. They were one of the first big, you know, live sports events during this pandemic They're even before the NFL mm-hmm. draft. Um, and, it, and that's kind of one of the things that was probably going to be a casualty is not only the progress that college athletes have made, um, that some of these players unions are, can make, but also the progress women's sports has made as well. Um, and it's, it's hard to see without someone being benevolent or some kind of a government, a state intervention, um, seeing a way around that, you know, it's like, cause where, where is it coming from? Where is it? Cause it already wasn't too much there to begin with. Um, I, I think it sadly mirrors what you're seeing in the rest of society uh, throughout this crisis is the poorest and the vulnerable are always going to be hit hardest. You know, they are going to be the last ones in the door and the first ones kicked out the moment there's any sort of economic contraction. Um, and once again, the reason we talk about sports on punching out is the ways in which these labor crises 
reflect broader society. These struggles, these uh, demands for better pay, better working conditions, you see them throughout society, just not in as prominent and as covered a fashion. Um, We're running low on time here today, but I would like to thank both of you for adding to this discussion. It's been good. Um, Any final thoughts? I don't know if you two have. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of faith in this, um, but I hope that this helps you know, this is can be a further step, um, at least in the minds of fans and people who consume sports, um, and truly understanding the relationship of sports owner to them, to the not just to the owners, but to the fans and to the community as well, especially here locally, um, with the evisceration that Bagulas have done to the, you know, low wage employees that they've built their Buffalo empire on. Um, I, I really hope people start to wake up to it. And I hope it takes more than just your team losing like the Sabres have done for people to start turning on what the owners are doing. The WNBA was supposed to tip off. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday, the 16th. It was supposed to tip off yesterday. Um, so, you know, just to conclude Ryan's point as well, like, you know, w- women's sports are obviously being impacted. The WNBA was becoming uh, a much year by year, a much more viable enterprise as people, you know, started becoming more engaged with the women's sport. And it was getting more support from the NBA as well. Um, and so, you know, there's a real danger that this could uh, spell the end of, of that as a as a you know viable professional women's league as well, depending on how they come back and how they handle their revenues and how the NBA handles their revenues in the aftermath. Um, so, you know, as as with everything else in the coronavirus times, we'll see. Fingers crossed, but not really holding my breath either. Um, sadly, that bleak note is how we're gonna have to end this show. Um, for this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Chris. I was rich. This is punching out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.